if you're, if you're fumbling it for in, in your own books, uh, we're looking for 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 8. Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, chapter 4, verses 1 to 8. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Sorry. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of the appearing and of his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. May the Lord bless these precious words that you gave to Paul to us. And may they be an encouragement as we see people succumbing to crazy teachings and false doctrines. Let us pray that we will stay faithful, that we, like our brothers and sisters around the world, will serve as evangelists, spreading the word, not necessarily formally empowered, but in those places that we are, to get along people. When we, the door opens, get that word in. Our faith, our hope is in Jesus Christ and God the Father and the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. This is the truth that we believe and we follow. Praise God. Amen. We're going to sing again. Let's just come to, uh, to God before before we consider the challenges from this morning's readings to us. Dear Lord and Father, the one true God, but God in three persons, we thank you that you are eternal, that you love us, We thank you for this time this morning. We thank you for your word. We open our ears to you now. We pray, Lord, that you will fill us, encourage us, inspire us to be true to you in the example 
that Jesus gave us your servant David gave us your servant Paul gave us and all those saints through the centuries who have stayed true to the word Lord if the time comes when we're in that place we pray that we will look first to you and that you would speak through us Lord I thank you for being with me this last couple of weeks of pondering this service I pray Lord that you will speak through me Lord that I wouldn't let you down that you would you would inspire our dear family here at Wilton to be about your work to be seeking to follow you and display you to the world through Christ our Savior Amen mentioned, uh, as Keith had mentioned a few weeks ago, that uh, one of the joys uh, when you're called on to either lead or to, to speak is that uh, quite often you're given a free hand. And uh, I've fallen back on something very familiar because I remember as a youngster uh, in Sunday school, this was one of the stories that really gripped my attention. People will say to you that the Bible is a boring old stuffy book full of rules and regulations. Oh no, we know it's a library, a library of books, isn't it? Poetry, love stories, yeah, never mind those action novels. This is what we like, getting in amongst the enemy. To a young boy, that pricks your imagination. As we grow older, hopefully wiser as we learn more. We learn it's not about the physical battles so much. It's not about those challenges. It's the more subtle things that come our way, isn't it? It's the spiritual warfare that we get involved in. But one of the things I learned in the army over many years is that some of these, some skills, some lessons, are transferable. Being in the army, being in the forces, being in the police force, being in various occupations can have its, its scares. There are real fears and dangers. How do you deal with those? Well, one of the mediums the army used was uh, adventure training, where you could take people climbing or potholing or abseiling, or various other activities, parachuting. Yeah, never too keen on that. But um, different activities that expose you to that, those fears, the fears of heights, of water, of enclosed spaces, so you can develop coping mechanisms. And I think the Bible and God speaks to it. Yeah, they, God had that before the army ever had it. So the skills you can learn to deal with the physical challenge are exactly the same as you can learn to deal with the spiritual challenge. And I could finish this sermon very quickly, but Emma downstairs with the children would not be happy if she didn't have time to deliver the lesson from downstairs by saying, all we have to do is trust God. Give it to him. Give it to him. You don't have to worry about the rest. But let's see what we can glean from this, today's very well-known story of David and Goliath. 
which has even been embedded into our everyday and increasingly secular life. How often have you heard the expression, a real David and Goliath battle? Particularly in reference to a conflict, or perhaps more commonly, a sporting event. Well, the reality here was not sport. It was a true life or death matter. Not just for the two combatants, but for the whole of God's chosen people. For the casual onlooker, oops, sorry, it was a non-contest. Goliath, a giant of a soldier, standing over nine feet tall, fully armored with his coat of armor. As we said, that weighed 125 pounds. Whoa, that's heavy. I don't know if you've done your bench presses at the gym. If you get to 125, you think you're doing really well. And he's wearing that as his coat. Come on. And he's armed with his sword and his spear and his javelin. And then we had David, just armed with a simple slingshot and five stones gathered from the spring. This imagery of an uneven contest brings to mind God's words to Samuel when he first was sent secretly to anoint David to be King Saul's successor. Initially, when Samuel saw David's big, strong brother, he assumed that he must be the chosen one. But God God told Samuel in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Sometimes when all is going well and the odds are are in our favor, we might start to forget God and start to trust ourselves, trust our own strength, our own abilities. Often, a situation has to look really hopeless before we start to to place our trust in God. Previously, God had given King Saul and the army of Israel, victory over their Philistine enemies. Even quite recently, as recorded in 1 Samuel um, 1, chapter 14, when David's friend Jonathan, so Saul's son, and his armor bearer, they had crossed the valley, snooked up to the Philistine side, just the two of them. I think Jonathan was the only one with a sword. Armor bearer probably had a club or something. And they taunted the uh, Philistines, called them to action, and gave them a right wheel kicking. God gave them victory, even though they were outnumbered. If Saul and the army of Israel had remembered this, or their history, and oh, how quickly we tend to forget history, they would have recorded how God had given Gideon victory over the Midianites. Midianites' army of thousands, tens of thousands. Well, Israel and Gideon, they gathered a big army as well. Do you remember the story? (laughs) Too many of these, Gideon. If they win today, they think they've done it. Send all of those who've got a problem or a sick kit, send them home. Loads of them went. Still too many left. Right, I've got a test. This is your commando selection. Right, send them down to drink at the river. Those who drop down on all fours and are laughing with their tongues like a dog, send them home. 
so to kneel down, scoop it up. Those are the guys I want. Actually, it sounds easier than commando training, but really quite insightful, wasn't it? 300 he was left with. 300. God gave them victory over the Midianite horde. And remember, Samson. Sometimes we forget Samson because it's a pretty gory, nasty story, isn't it? But what are we told? Everything in the Bible is there for a reason to learn from. Important. God gave Samson the strength to slay a thousand Philistines armed with the jawbone of an ass. Not even a sword, not even a slingshot, not even a recognized weapon. Judges chapter 15. But what a pity and all too human that the army of Israel seemed to have forgotten God's part in these victories and thought that their own skills and courage had given them victory. And now faced with one-to-one combat against Goliath, their courage deserted them. David, meanwhile, he'd already felt God's protection while he was out caring for the sheep alone on the hills. We read that in verses 34 and 37. And he knew that it was God who had protected him. Protected him against the bear and against the lion. And he trusted God to do it again. Goliath was full of his own importance. So much like the evil dictators we've read about or we see on our televisions even today. Perhaps in our own circumstances, it might be a dominating employer. Perhaps it would have been the school or workplace bully. We might have experienced those ourselves. It's not nice. Goliath was brash with his challenge when he thought he was in the driving seat. He knew that he was much bigger than any champion that the Israelites might find. And you notice, he didn't even acknowledge David's bravery in going out to face him in single combat. He could have said, Fair play, sonny, but you better send a grown-up. But rather, he despised him and cursed him by his false gods. We read that in 42 and 44. Some of the smart Alex today on the secular humanist side will try and bully you with their facts and their science and this, that, and the other. They'll try and dismiss us as crazy Christians, you know, who are insecure, need to lean on a crutch. Well, actually, yeah, we are secure, insecure. We do need to lean on a crutch, but we know that God has all the answers. We're called to lean on him. So actually, their taunt is actually true. So yeah. Yeah, but at least we're not misguided and following a lie and false doctrine. You may have noticed when reading your Bible that God often uses people who appear unsuited to the task to which he calls them. This is so that they have to stand in his strength. And then the world can see God's power at work. Moses, he wasn't a good speaker, was he? He tried to wangle out of it. Oh, God, don't send me. I can't talk. I'm a mumbler. They won't listen. But God said, okay, take your brother Aaron with you, but the job's yours. Go and do it. 
Moses was sent before the powerful Pharaoh to say, let my people go. Most of Elijah's fellow prophets had been killed. But Elijah even had the fireworker, firework, the firewood under his sacrifice doused with water before calling on God to send the fire to ignite it. And we all know how that ended up. 300 prophets of Baal, gone. Elijah lifted up, exalted. Why? Because he trusted God. Peter was an uneducated and broken man after denying Jesus. And yet he spoke to a crowd of thousands immediately after Pentecost. We read that in Acts chapter 2. And many were called. And many believed to follow Jesus. And then the rest of Peter's life was committed to serving Jesus, to serving God, to doing the right thing. Never mind what might happen to me now. That guy was in the past. I now trust God. I trust Jesus. This is his word. We believe that Paul suffered from physical disabilities. Yet endured floggings, stonings, shipwrecks for his beliefs. All of these people were faithful, weren't they? They went where God told them to go. And God honored them by giving them the words or actions that were needed. Unfortunately, people often see what they want to see or what they don't want to see. God, no, Pharaoh saw God send terrible plagues on his people and land. Still, his heart was hardened, and he refused to let the, go, the, the Israelites go. Ten spies Moses sent to scan out the promised land. Sorry, 12 spies he sent out. Ten of them, oh no, the people there are all big. They give us a good hiding. We don't want to go there. Two, Caleb and Joshua said, no, no, you got it wrong. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. God will give us the victory. Sadly, people listened to the 10 at that time, and we know how that worked out. 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, not good. And then only Joshua and Caleb, of all those people who started off on the journey, got to enter the promised land. God had chosen Saul to be the first king of Israel. God had chosen him. But sadly, Saul had lost direction. We might say he'd become big-headed, swallowed his own publicity, believed his own party lines, given in to the flattery of men. Oh, well done, Saul. Yeah, you've done all this. Oh, yeah, I have, haven't I? And so he had a monument built in his own honor. That was back in 1 Samuel 15, verse 12. He turned away from God and started to pick and choose from God's commands and directions. When God rejected him, Saul started to fall into a deep depression. Well, you would, wouldn't you? If you've been chosen by God and known the wonder of following him and then lose that, my goodness, that would be horrendous. When God rejected him, he asked about it. 
but he became disobedient to God, didn't he? He chose his own path. You might remember again, in fact, in Samuel 15, that God told Saul to totally destroy the Amalekites. But Saul spared the things that he thought were good and then tried to excuse his actions by claiming he was going to use those trophies, those war trophies, to sacrifice to God. Yeah, don't try and kid God. That doesn't work. Finally, in increasing fear at the threat from his enemies, Saul called on a fortune teller to tell him the future, what was going to happen. What's going to happen when I go up against the Philistines? Well, she told him, you're going to die. And his knees knocked and he quaked and he was scared. Personally, I cannot help but feeling sorry for Saul. But we mustn't forget that he had directly received so much from God. It was turning away from God that he lost everything. And Saul's really was the saddest case of three strikes and you're out. As outlined in the parable of the servants and the talents, Matthew chapter 25, to him much is given, much is expected. And so we find ourselves back on the here's near Seco. We return to David, chosen by God to succeed Saul, and already secretly anointed by Samuel. The scene was set for an epic event, wasn't it? Two rival armies, fierce and long-standing enemies, formed up in battle order. Saul, a big, strong, and able soldier in his own right. Sorry, Saul, big, strong, and able. Yeah, going back in history, why was Saul chosen? To be the king. Well, he stood a head taller than any of his fellows. So say the average height was about 5'4", say a head's about oh, 10 inches. So he's, he's a strapping six-footer, isn't he? But even a strapping six-footer going up against a nine-footer, yeah, that would be a worry, wouldn't it? So Saul was the natural choice, perhaps. Seasoned soldier, big and strong, but he's lost his nerve. You would have thought he would go out there. His kingdom was at stake. There's nobody else. Yeah, I can do this. No, he couldn't. Why? Because he turned his back on God. Saul and the rest of his battle-hardened soldiers were scared. Yeah, there must have been other people out there in the lines, pretty good at the old combat. But no, they wouldn't go. And we can probably understand that. There is safety in numbers, isn't there? If we're in our, you know, in our ranks advancing with our shields locked and that, yeah, we can do that because we don't want to let our buddies down. But actually, leave them all behind and walk out there for this big guy? My goodness, that will be horrible. It's like playing, no, the analogy I can draw from it is playing a team game. Yeah, I can remember back that long. I used to play team games. I used to play rugby. And I said, oh, Jonathan, that guy is marking you. Look, he's six foot eight and 18 stone. Well, that'll be all right. If I keep out of his way, there won't be a problem. If I hit him moving twice as fast as he is, then my weight will be magnified and I'll be able to take him out. Yeah. Crazy things you think when you're young. Sometimes it works. But if they got hold of you, that was not nice. 
I've been on the end of one of those stampings. Not nice at all. But anyway, you'll, remember, you'll, you'll pick up. I've got a very good memory because it was half a lifetime ago. The army of Israel become fixed on Goliath's thighs. It was already beaten in their heads. They had forgotten all those previous victories that God had given them. Victories even in the face of seemingly hopeless odds. David, as a visitor to the front lines, he wasn't tainted by that. He wasn't put, put off by the fear that had dulled the army of Israel. And on hearing Goliath's challenge, David could not believe that no Israelite would accept it. He asked that question. What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes the disgrace from Israel? But his older brother, Eliab, he heard it. And he was angry. Maybe Eliab did not think that David fully understood the situation, how bad it was. He thought that David was being a big head. Called him off. Oh, that's right. Make us all look like a bunch of wimps. What are you going to do about it, little brother? You as a mere boy are not going to have to go out there, but maybe one of us will. Rather like us armchair critics. When we're watching sports, we would never miss that penalty. We'd always score the goal. We'd take out the big fella on the wing. Yeah, it always looks easy from the stands or the sofa, doesn't it? And then sometimes our confidence in God's truth can sound like boasting to an unbeliever. As Christians, we take confidence in the knowledge that everything is in God's hands. We know that death has lost its sting, and we will share in God's glory because of Jesus' sacrifice and grace. Unbelievers might think our confidence in God's grace is misguided or big-headed. So that's why we're called to talk the truth firmly but gently. Our job is to win these people to the kingdom, not to put them off. Perhaps it was like that for David's big brother Eliab. Remember, David had already experienced that protection firsthand from both bear and lion. They'd scare me, I'll tell you, they'd probably scare all of us if we were out there alone. But David had been protected. He knew where his strength came from. He knew that Goliath wasn't invincible. Yeah, he was huge. Yes, he was armored. But he was just a man. And worse than that, a big-headed, big-mouthed bully. David had the confidence that God would deal with him. Now, later in David's life, we know that he made mistakes. Indeed, he committed serious sins. Where he differed from Saul was that he accepted that he had done wrong, and he repented of his sins. He asked God's forgiveness, and he took his punishment. David loved him. David knew that God was good and just and trusted him. These days, there's a habit of building some people up to hero status. And once we've put them there on their pedestals, then we go digging for the dirt to bring them down again. How sad is that? And by us, I don't mean us. I mean them out there. We'd never dream of that, would we? Oh, so sorry. Schoolboy error. 
So sorry. Yeah. David loved God. God loved David. David didn't try to justify himself when he'd done wrong. Well, sorry, initially he did, didn't he? And Nathan called him out on it, and God convicted him of it. And God accepted. There was punishment, but he was reinstated. We've heard that before, haven't we? Peter failed. He was reinstated. We can fail. We repent and throw ourselves back on God's mercy. We can be reinstated. That's the promise we have from God. That's why Jesus died for us, to wipe away our sins. The Bible is God's word. It doesn't, it doesn't sugarcoat the folks in there. David's sins were exposed. They were put right. Moses not wanting to go. Yeah, here's someone to help you. Go and do it. Okay. God honors those who honor him. All he asks of us is to love him and trust him. God's own word. Through Paul, Acts 13, verse 23. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. If despite David's faults, God said this to them, him, then there's, there's clearly a lot we can learn from his life, and especially that early life. Especially this example today, where he was utterly committed to God and went to do his work. So today, let us learn three important lessons from this confrontation. First, David was in a personal relationship with God and fully trusted in God's strength. Verse 45, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty the God of the armies of Israel. David knew he wasn't facing Goliath in his own strength. Or, no. When we, are, when we, and likewise for us, when we are following God's lead, he will be with us. That's his promise. Remember our dear brother, Philip, fishing out there in the congregation. I will never leave you nor forsake you. How many times, brothers and sisters, did we hear that? But what an encouragement. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Second, David shared his experience of God's love and protection. That example he gave in verse 37. The Lord has spared me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, and he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. David wasn't blowing his own trumpet. He wasn't saying, oh, I can do this. No. He was giving God the honor. Wasn't he? Finally, David honored God and he gave him the glory. Verse 47. Before he'd even loaded a stone into his slingshot, he declared, All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, but the battle is the Lord's. It's this, yeah. And then, said this before, but it's worth emphasizing where it comes from because this isn't Jonathan, this is 
God's word. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 13. Those who honor me, I will honor. We all have daily battles. Sometimes it might seem that we're facing giants. But let us try and remember that if we're doing God's will, he will fight the battle for us. All we have to be is like David and trust God. Share his love with others and give him the glory. Our second reading, let me touch on it from Timothy because that speaks for itself. But his servant Paul, I love that verse. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That's our call to battle. That was Paul's parting words to his dear son Timothy. It's a great cry to us as well. Fight the good fight. Not necessarily with your fists or a slingshot. Sorry, don't go there if you don't have to. But the fight, the battles, the conflicts that we have over the spiritual battles. Let's be prepared to stand up to those who would try and put us down because of what we believe. Let's try and win them as brothers and sisters. Let's share the good news. What a blessing it is. I was praying this before we came out here. What a privilege to be God's co-workers. He doesn't need us to do any of that. He's all powerful. He can do it himself. But he's invited us to be in this partnership. It's amazing, isn't it? We can be his children. We can be his children too. What's he call us to do? Like we shared with these young people last week. Love God first with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. If you can't remember the four, just love him totally and your neighbor as yourself. Praise God. Thank you that he, he delivered the Israelites from Goliath and the Philistines, but more importantly, that he's delivered us from the fear and shackles of death. Through him, we are saved to be with him in eternity. Praise God. What a blessing that is. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Lord and Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you sent your precious son, Jesus, to die for us. Lord, thank you for being with us through your precious spirit. Please give us the courage that we need to be your children in this hostile world, to serve you in the fights that we might have. And we pray, Lord, for the day when we're with you in eternity. And we look forward to that. And we thank you that it's made possible through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Amen.